Hello everyone and welcome to Education Checkup. I am your host for today's broadcast and co-hosting with me today is Dr. Philip Roseman. He's a cardiologist but also someone who has invested how many years in education, Dr. Roseman, have you been working oh, to improve it? I think probably last 25, 30 years. Yeah. At least? Yes. All right, and we thank you for all of your service. And we've got some exciting guests today. We're gonna to talk about some serious but good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I've, uh, I've always been impressed by this group uh, because it's not a group just of talkers but of doers. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, this nonprofit has really done a great deal of things that have been positive for our community for a long, long time. And so we're gonna talk a little bit today about uh, what they've done and what they're doing uh, as the Volunteers of Youth Justice, but also a really excited new thing that I'm, I'm really thrilled about uh, that they're going to be describing. And I won't uh, break the surprise yet, but when we talk about it, I think uh, everybody will know this is really something that's needed in our community. So let me just start off by introducing mm -hmm. our guest, um, Kelly Todd. Uh, it's the CEO of uh, uh, the nonprofit of the uh, Volunteers of Youth Justice. Uh, the, the vision of the youth justice thing that I read was community caring for children and families in crisis. That is a huge undertaking, yeah. huge. and I think that y'all have done that. Amazing thing about the Volunteers of Youth Justice is this group supervises 400 or so volunteers which is often very difficult. Wow. Uh, and they serviced over 5,000 children in the last year, which is, again, amazing. And so we want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing um, uh, as a group. And we also have Clay Walker here. Uh, Clay I've known for a long time, probably the last 25 years mm -hmm. or so. Uh, he is a, a tremendous guy who has great passion and energy. And I think people can know that he is, he's worked from his heart and he does things for these kids that maybe nobody else would. And so I've always been really impressed with your work, Clay, uh, and your service. He's now the Director of Juvenile Services and Parole. He works for the Caddo Commission, but he works really for the kids and, and for the juvenile mm -hmm. uh, youth uh, 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 crime prevention system. And, We'll talk about that as we go along. Yeah, Clay has a fan club, almost as big as yours. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I think that's true. Maybe bigger than mine. I don't know about that. <laughs> but uh, let, let me um, um, just start by, if you would, talk a little bit about the Volunteers of Youth Justice, uh, what they do, what, what are the important things that, that the community needs to know about the Volunteers of Youth Justice. Okay, Volunteers for Youth Justice is a nonprofit, and we've been around for, for 41 years, almost 42. Uh, we were actually started by First Presbyterian Church uh, 42 years ago and started out just mainly focusing on diversion, where we were just trying to keep kids out of the courtroom. And that was our only focus. And over the years, it's grown and grown and grown. And we've added, um, not only do we have our diversion programs now, we have uh, CASA, which deals with kids in the foster care system, where we train advocates to become the voice for the child for their best interest. And they, they work with the families, the schools, their doctors, trying to find relatives. And um, that's a very powerful bunch of volunteers. It's not your normal volunteer, oh, yeah. volunteer group. Um, and then we also have our TASC, um, which is our elementary truancy program, where we really do a lot of casework. It's kindergarten through fifth grade, so you've got parents who might need a little bit more education in getting their kids to school. The kids really want to go to school. So we're really trying to put some family services in place to help them get their kids to school. 
Let me uh, ask you just to talk a little bit about what you do in terms of this diversion. How do you keep kids out of the courtroom? What are some of the things that y'all do or strategies you use? So we deal with all of the school fights in Caddo Parish, and that's probably been one of Clay's favorite programs because it keeps no the, <laughs> the school fights out of the court, backing up that court system. So when two kids get into a fight, they are suspended, and sometimes they're arrested. And instead of having to go through the court system, the two fighters can come to our conflict resolution class. We give them conflict, better strategies to work out their conflict, and their parents have to attend as well. So their parents are learning you know, just because their kid came home and said, I didn't do anything, they learned the truth by the time the, the, fight, the fight is over. Then they can return to school the next day and, and um, serve the rest of the um, term in in-school suspension. And then if they attend the uh, class, uh, our DA will drop the charge. One fight a year. And, yeah. and, and yeah. if I can jump in on how important <clears throat> that is, um, we're talking about hundreds, mm -hmm. maybe a thousand cases. And so those children historically would have been charged and now a police officer's time, they're off the street having to deal with the kid. The kid then comes into the system, there's a DA, a public defender, a judge, a probation officer. It's a lot of professionals where you're taking up their time for a school fight. That school fight used to take somewhere maybe three to six months to prosecute. So it almost didn't matter what you did. I mean, if I say to my son, if you put your hand in that cookie jar, I'm gonna ground you in six months, it's useless. Mm -hmm. And so six months later, there's no real impact. And so now, contrast, we have this diversion program. 24 hours later, they're on a school campus. They're not on the street having been suspended. Mm -hmm. They do a program where their parents have to come in. We did a check on it, a test on it. The last time we looked, 94% of those kids don't have another fight that school year. That whole program cost the school system $50,000. So cost-effective, it's, it's amazing. So yeah. again, contrast, that kid used to come to detention, it's $402 a day for the kid in detention where they're gonna spend two or three nights with somebody who committed armed robbery. Whatever lesson you're trying to teach them about not fighting, they're learning 10 other bad lessons by hanging out with a, a bad influence kid. And so the two systems are, are literally just night and day. The school fight diversion is fantastic, frees up all that staff and is more effective and more cost effective. So what is the age range? Obviously to kindergartners saying, you know, you're mean, you're this or that is not the same. What, what, what age do you have for diversion? It has gone down. Um, it used to be six through 12, so middle high, but we've started taking fifth graders because we're seeing a lot more um, instances since COVID and trauma and things like that where we are working with the younger. With the elementary kids, we try to go on the campus and do a preventative year-round program is what we try to do to keep them from ever coming into our, um, our school conflict. You know, it's really wonderful to hear government and nonprofit work together mm -hmm. to become efficient and effective with dollars. I mean, that is a, and get a positive outcome. So this is really a program that has worked uh, and y'all have been doing this for how long? 2006 is the conflict resolution right. program was when right. we started that. And we've had what, over 600 so far this year? 700 this year. Well, I can still remember, mm -hmm. um, I can still remember in, in switching gears just a little bit, talking about truancy. I can still remember the discussions that were had and still are being had mm -hmm. about truancy in the school system and reducing truancy. And if I remember correctly, when y'all began K through five truancy, it was a major issue. And, and, I, and I felt, if I'm not mistaken, the 
the truancy rates are less now than they were before. So when we took over the elementary truancy program solely just to focus on that, um, there was about 750 kids being sent to court each year for elementary truancy. Uh, the first two years of us implementing this, we were only sending 20 kids to court a year. Yeah, why, why would you send a kid to court who can't get themselves to school? To me, if you're talking about an elementary school student, that's a parent not taking them. Is that correct? That is correct. So before we took it over, this Caddo Parish School Board was handling truancy to the best that they could. I mean, they have to do truancy, discipline, they have to do all kinds of things. So when they hit the magic number, they try to do casework, but it's impossible. Um, so they would just refer them to the juvenile court to get them into a referral with fins and things like that. But it just backed up the court system once again. Back when, when y'all first started, we were talking about 5,000 kids. I mean, so you're talking about a number that was overwhelming mm -hmm. the school system. Um, so to bring in a nonprofit, and as you say, to work with the government on this, um, <clears throat> a huge help. What it turns out to be, it's really casework. It's getting with that family, and what you're gonna find is a social service need. Um, they don't understand the busing system, they, the, there's something conflict between the one job, the two jobs they have to get them to the kids to the bus. There's a lot of just family problems you solve. It's, it's rarely a mom that's just thumbing her nose and doesn't care about mm -hmm. her kid and doesn't want him to go. She's facing um, eviction, mm -hmm. domestic violence. She's facing right. bigger issues, fires she has to put out and getting the kid to school is just not a priority with those yeah. other bigger issues. When you help her out with those social service needs, the kid gets to school and everybody's happy. And so they're solving, you went from 700 plus petitions. The one caveat I would say is COVID. COVID. Pre-COVID, oh. they'd gone from 750 down to like 25. So again, this is a petition filed by the DA's office. So they're filing 750 that has to go to the DA, has to come to court, tie up a judge's time, tie up a probation officer's time, down to 25. They were solving 725 mm -hmm. of those by working with the family before it ever came to court. Um, COVID hits, and frankly, to be honest, we're, we're starting all over again. Yeah. We are. The first year after COVID, we were back over, looking at chronic truancy, 15 plus days, we were over 8,000. After a year- wow. In Caddo Parish? In Caddo mm -hmm. Parish alone, over 8,000. So technically truancy is five plus days, that's legally chronic truancy, 15 plus, mm -hmm. um, we were over 8,000 after COVID. We're now over just over 6,000. So the DA's office is working very hard on this. VYJ, our court system, Judge Howell, they all do that work. Um, and they're working hard on it, have gotten it down by 2,000 kids. It's still at 6,000. This is a number, I don't wanna give away the secret either, but <laughs> your announcement today, yeah, yeah. the big news, um, this is the primary focus. As a community, we've got to get that number down because 6,000 true, chronically truant kids will become delinquency kids. They're headed right toward juvenile court and juvenile detention if they're not in school K through five. They're gonna start causing trouble mm -hmm. middle school. So as a community, that number needs to get way down so that we can get our hands around it and prevent a delinquency wave in four years. Well, let's go ahead. No, that, I'm just, I'm stunned. It's a, it's a scary number. It's, uh, that's why we're so passionate about it and why your announcement today is, I think, big news. Well, you wanna yeah. go forward with the announcement? Well, let's, let's do. Let's talk <laughs> about something uh, that we are talking about. It's the harbor, okay? And um, I 
talked to Keith Burton about that. He told me a little bit about that. That's one of the reasons we really wanted to have you uh, on Education Checkup to talk about this that's beginning to unfold, which is a tremendous idea. And if I sum it up, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, as best I can, it's a one-stop shop, okay, where families can get the needs that they need met, individual needs that they be met, because all of the different uh, nonprofits and the school system and VYJ and others are in one spot where they get to that spot, they can, instead of going all over town trying to find help, mm -hmm. you know, they can find it in that one spot. So let's, I've said enough. <laughs> I want you, <laughs> we want you to talk about the harbor and tell us about the harbor and how this came about. I mean, it's just amazing to me. It is, I'm super excited, first of all. Um, we have been working on this since 2016, uh, this idea. Um, when the new DA was elected, he was really concerned about truancy and he approached us and our team, some of the juvenile court team and his team went down to, to Baton Rouge and some other areas to see how they were doing things and both of them had similar, not to this capacity, but similar one-stop shops where families could come in and get all the services under one roof. So we came back and uh, we've been working with the Caddo Parish School Board for six years now on determining what property would work in because that's that's crucial is finding something big enough and this bus line accessible and not you know not worrying about little things like that so um i think it was last year uh we had a meeting with Caddo parish school board and they identified the building on night street 3004 night street which used to be the old special services building mm -hmm. especially um, as a as a potential place and uh, they partnered with us because the school board is really the, the school personnel and the administration we have right now they're really strong they care about kids and families and when this they've always wanted to do it it just never was it was a timing thing and building and stuff so when we found this um, it, it was just amazing and the support we've gotten has been completely renovated Clay had the task of uh, trying to make sure, you know, the government pieces, the parish and the city, that they were on board with this too. Because in order for this to work, everybody's got to be on board. Mm -hmm. um, we want everyone to be able to refer here. We want to take people off the street that just walk in, like that don't like the grandmother raising her two grandkids that doesn't know what to do. There's nowhere for her to go. She walks in, and we can outfit the whole family right there. We do not want it to be a place where people think they're in trouble or that they mm -hmm. feel that they're in trouble. Mm -hmm. This is a place where they're just going to get help. We're not here to call child protection on you. We're not. We're here to help you keep keep you out of these situations. So um, it's something that's um, a lot of times we refer families to outside agencies and they never get there. They never make yeah. it there. So this is a place where all of those outside agencies that we utilize are going to move in with us. And so when you walk in, instead of telling you you have to go set up another appointment, you're going to go over there right then. Maybe not see a counselor on the spot, but at least see someone and get your appointment set up. How do the government government entities react to this? Have they been very helpful? Has it been difficult to do? Or I'll say this on a couple of levels. When you have Dr. Gorey supporting it, mm -hmm. that's a huge support. James Stewart, our DA, was probably the primary supporter. That's a lot of political clout and connections. That are, so they, they brought some attention to it. Um, the sell of the, of the work itself was actually not hard. So you have people like Stormy Gage Watts was the um, chair of juvenile subcommittee for the parish commission. To talk to her about the one-stop shop, I mean, she gets it immediately. She says, you know, just let us know what we can do. 
but it affects every agency. So within the city, city council, and mayor's office, it's affecting the police department. Truant kids, walking the street, causing crime, all of that, it affects the police department in the city. Parish Commission runs juvenile court. Um, the school board, obviously, <clears throat> it's their kids that are truant and we're trying to get them back in school. So all of the agencies are affected by it. Everybody sees a positive if we can do this together. It does get a little tricky politically to say, okay, what are you gonna put on the table? You know, the school board, their generosity, we're talking about a probably $1.6 million building. Mm -hmm. um, so they're putting it on, and they're saying you can use this building. One of the great things for the taxpayers is the model is self-sustaining. It won't require any more taxes. So all of the agencies that serve families are gonna rent space there. Their rent, goes back in to sustain the program. They're paying rent right now all over town. Right. They'll pay it in this building. Mm -hmm. It sustains it so we won't have to ask for more taxes for the program. Um, but the main thing is the idea that this family, it, it's tied to the same stuff we were talking about before. A single mom has three kids. She has a list of things to do that's 15 items. And the first four are kind of life and death. I mean, safe housing, housing uh, domestic violence, food insecurity, and she just got fired, whatever it is. You know, she's got to deal with those. Walking into this building, all, you know, housing, domestic violence, all of it's gonna be under one roof. If we can take out, you know, eight items on her list in one afternoon, we've helped her. Mm -hmm. And then she sees it as a resource and her family is more stable. A more stable parent and family is gonna always be better for the kids and so it's, it's gonna be great for well, families. Well, talk, talk about what's all the agencies that are gonna be in this building. Yeah. We talked about some of that. Yeah. Give us an idea. Okay, of definitely. Okay. So um, this building required a lot of renovation. Just mm. keep that in mind. So they have completely redone the first floor, the parking lot, the roof, and things like that. We still have to do the second floor, and it's kind of going in stages. So just on the first floor, the whole first floor is completely rented out. So it'll have 60% of that is going to be VYJ, Volunteers for Youth Justice Programmings, that are already in effect, um, mm. that are already functioning. We're also gonna have Center for Children and Families, which is a uh, quality mental health service. Uh, Brighter Futures, which deals with our older kids' mental health. Mm -hmm. um, Choices is our local wraparound service. We're gonna have an OTPT speech therapy place because a lot of times our kids need that, um, mm -hmm. OT specifically. Um, we're gonna have Where are the OTPT and speech therapists coming from? Are they from the school system? No, or? they're not. They're they're a local uh, business here. Melanie okay. Massey Physical uh -huh. Therapy. Okay. Um, so they're going to come to the building. They're going to move in there. Uh -huh. um, and then we're going to have um, Faith and Fostering. They're a uh, local nonprofit that deals with homeless foster children who like age out and they have nowhere to go. They put them in a program and provide housing for them as long as they work their program. Uh, Project Celebration, who handles domestic violence and sexual assault, mm -hmm. they're going to be housed there. So we've got a plethora of people. Um, some of the school board officials will be there. We plan to add in the uh, food bank is going to be there to provide food, some food, and help people register for like uh, child care assistance, SNAP benefits, things like that, workforce development, literacy skills and parenting classes. Everything you can think of is going to be in this building. How is the literacy skills, as, from an education checkup perspective, the literacy skills, what, what are we talking so about So what, what we've determined just based on since COVID is a lot of our kids are now two years behind academically. Mm -hmm. they, they, really, it, they were A-B students. They, they can't keep up right now. So yeah. that's a focus that Caddo Parish School Board asked us to, to please put in there. So we found someone who's certified through the Department of Education 
and who's willing to do literacy skills, tutoring, whatever she needs to do. She's done it in school sites before. She's going to be at the harbor to do it for us. And then in the domestic violence realm, uh, which is a huge issue, mm -hmm. uh, so this would just be someone that would get them to the right place or get them to help? Uh, so Project Celebration is a local nonprofit. That, that's what they do. They, okay. they, they, we would refer them down to their office, uh -huh. and they would get them to the... The so and normally, I mean, a family coming into juvenile court, you're getting these complete wraparound services. If domestic violence is one of the issues the family's facing, we would say you need to go to an appointment in eight days, halfway across town, mm -hmm. and the family never makes it. Yeah. Transportation is a huge issue in poverty. The <clears throat> functionality of making all of these appointments is part of the problem for the family. So having it under one roof is the key. Mm -hmm. A family comes in, and you can say, look, here's a map of the building, and you just <laughs> have to go to four different offices in this same building and get everything you need. And and this is, I assume, for also a proactive thing. In other words, it doesn't mean that you have to be in the realm of almost uh, falling out. I mean, nothing I can do about it. Right. This is about if, if the family sees that, you know, look, we've got a lot of serious issues here that are going to be problems and go ahead of time rather than when you're in trouble. Right. It's preventative. I mean, it, it can respond to if there's a problem right now, but it is also preventative. The idea is we have a program called the Misdemeanor Referral Center. Um, children that are arrested on lower level charges, you don't want them to come to detention with felony kids, um, but they need to have consequences. Um, we also want to free up the police. That will be housed there so the police can bring that child there and they'll get services. All of the truancy will be there. Um, chronic behavior problem referrals from the school system. So a second grader who's beginning to show signs of real problems and you can tell there's a problem in the home. The teacher's got 30 students and doesn't have time to be a counselor to this one right now, mm -hmm. has 29 other kids. Well, a family referral for that child to the harbor mm -hmm. means the mom can come with that kid and get all the services they need. So very much preventative. I mean, it's responding to if it's a problem right now, a misdemeanor arrest or a family coming in the school can make a referral, or I think as Kelly said before, I mean, a family can walk in. Mm -hmm. um, now, twice you have, you've referenced not putting kids who have done small things, minor things, in the same place where you've got people committing violent crime. Talk about the importance and, and why you work so hard to not have those two together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a couple things. Historically, a lot of states, a lot of cities um, have overused detention, putting kids in detention for all charges. Um, and I mean, I, I do kind of get it. A kid that gets into a bad school fight, if you're the teacher watching it, it's violent, it's ugly. And there is kind of visceral, you know, the kid needs consequences. Um, the problem is you take that, a school fight, a shoplifting, a misdemeanor, you put them in detention um, when they get, I mean, you can just track them. I mean, it's like a public health, just measure it. When they get out, they do worse. So when you mix, I mean, it's the mantra we have kind of as parents, be careful who your kids run with. Yeah. When you put your kid in detention, I promise you who they're running with. And it's not a good group. You know, it's, a, it's an at-risk group. And so putting a shoplifter in with an armed robber is just literally introducing the, the student to the master. I mean, it's, that, it has a bad impact. So as much as you may want to teach this kid a lesson for that misdemeanor, that's not the way to do it. So um, on a couple of levels, we, we, we realized we didn't want to do that. So what we had to do is create an alternative, though. 
they do need to have consequences. You can't just let them walk away and not have consequences. So for a misdemeanor, for a school fight, there can still be an arrest. They can still go to the misdemeanor referral center. Their parents have to come. The DA may still prosecute. They can still be put on probation. There can be consequences, but they, ne they don't spend three nights in detention is the, is the main issue. Um, the other issue just for us in Caddo is that we only have 24 beds in detention. So there's 60,000 children in Caddo Parish and we have 24 beds. Monroe has 60 beds. Little, uh, Little Rock has 48. Jackson has 84. Uh, Lake Charles has 38. We have 24. And so we don't have the beds really even to put in misdemeanors. So that was another reason why we needed to find some alternatives because when a kid does pick up a gun charge, I want an open bed to hold that kid. Mm -hmm. That's a public safety risk. That's what detention is for. And we don't want them getting out quickly because we need a more, another bed for a misdemeanor. Right. We just bifurcated those misdemeanors are handled in a different way. Um, and you can measure it. It's a public health measure I and mean, the outcomes are better. We have lower recidivism when we treat those misdemeanors appropriately. Mm -hmm. I mean, I said before, school fights, 94% of those kids don't have another fight that school year. Our recidivism rate for kids in juvenile court is now 17%. It's the lowest it's ever been. And so we're trying to keep kids from reoffending once we catch them. Yeah, it's kind of like what we do in healthcare and our emergency rooms. We triage people who are really not emergent, emergent, and then people that are really emergent and put them in different areas of the of the emergency room, but the same idea of triaging out uh, things that are minor versus things that are major and treating them accordingly is a, a tremendous concept. Now, I'm actually working with the School of Public Health here in Shreveport to learn from them how do you, you know, to use evidence-based practices, to use things to measure our outcomes, to make sure they're working. Um, if you kind of just go with your gut and you say this kid deserves a night in detention, but then that evidence shows you that when you do that 100 times, 99 of them reoffend, mm -hmm. it's not working. Yeah. Hope you have a good day and that you'll join us next time.